Rarely do we get to go inside the mind of a champion who just experienced failure. I usually interview people who are on top, but they experience failure along the way. Today's episode is different. We're going inside the mind and inside the life of former Bellator world champion and future UFC world champion, Michael Chandler. Welcome to another episode of Success Through Failure. This is your host, Jim Harsher Jr., and today I bring you the amazing Michael Chandler. When I was a Division I All-American athlete, I was hyper-focused and I was able to take consistent action that allowed me to be one of the best in the country at what I did. Well, for years after I was done competing, I just struggled to stay focused on my goals day in and day out. I was easily distracted, so I wasn't able to stay consistent, the kind of consistency that you need to have to achieve goals that are meaningful to you. It was discouraging for me. I felt like I was just slipping kind of into mediocrity. Then after interviewing some of the highest performers in the world, Olympians, CEOs, billionaires, best-selling authors, I discovered how they do it. I discovered 18 powerful and sometimes weird tactics that they use to stay focused at work, focused on the right things while also living a balanced life. And if you start using probably just three of these today, you're going to get more done in the next eight hours. I promise. This is not tomorrow, not next week. These will work today. I guarantee it. It's like magic, but they're real world solutions to it. People like you and me want the ability to stay focused, avoid distraction and be consistent. I use at least four of them every day and have used all of them at some point. Now I'm able to stay focused while I'm at work and get probably 50 to hundred percent more done each day. I'm more present when I'm home with my wife and four kids. And the result is I have a stronger relationship with my family and I'm still able to achieve incredible goals like being selected to give a TEDx talk at one of the biggest TED events in the world like launching a podcast and talking to A-list guests and running a half marathon, all of this while having a full-time job that includes frequent travel, working nights and weekends and all that good stuff. So you're going to find solutions on this list that are going to surprise you. Grab your copy of the 18 tactics to staying focused at work. Just go to jimharshawjr.com slash focus. That's jimharshawjr.com slash focus. Imagine you're in a great job, it's got great pay, you're at the top of your game, and you decide to take a risk and you change jobs. There's no guarantees. You could get embarrassed in front of millions of people, your income could disappear, your family's depending on you. Do you do it? Do you believe in yourself enough to do it? Well, Michael Chandler does, and that's exactly what he did. He moved from Bellator, where he was the world champion, into the UFC, and he lost his last title fight. So what we're doing today is this was a, a shot at the title for him, and he lost. And what we're going to do today is to go inside his mind, like inside the mind of a world champion in between fights, right? When he just lost his last one, like how does he think? What are the, the limiting beliefs that he has to overcome and deal with? after a loss. I mean, this is the real world for him. This is not just sports and a game. This is, this is his life and his livelihood. And, you know, he and I came from almost identical backgrounds. I mean, his father was a union carpenter. Mother was a secretary. My father was a union sheet metal worker and also a secretary. I mean, blue collar, hardworking people. These are the homes that we were brought up in. We both you know, passed on opportunities to wrestle at smaller schools, to go to a big school where we were essentially walk-ons and then both ended up being four-year starters, both ended up being all Americans and both had to like 
defeat this small town, small minded thinking to get to where we got to as athletes. And certainly his career, you know, as an athlete has continued until this day. I mean, this guy's he's, he's one of the best in the world at what he does. And we're going to talk about how does the best in the world, how do they deal with failure? And he talks about some specific things that he does that you can do to create incredible self-belief so that you understand how good you are and what your potential is despite and sometimes even because of failure. So let's get into my second interview. I last interviewed him way back in episode 99 when he was fighting in Bellator. But let's get into my second interview with the great, amazing, I just love this guy. This is one of the most inspirational people I know, Michael Chandler. First, you know, last time we spoke, you were fighting in Bellator. You fought in Bellator for what, like a decade? You were the world champ. And then you made the switch to UFC. What has that transition been like for you? Yeah, I was with Bellator for, yeah, it was right around 10 years. You know, I had been one of the first world champions there at 155, was a top ranked guy, was very much one of the biggest names in the organization. So I always had that relative security of being in that organization, being a cornerstone of the organization. There was a lot of comfort that came with that. But for me, I always thought about the future me. I always thought about the 40 year old retired me. How well was I going to sleep at night knowing? that I never tested myself in the UFC, which is widely regarded as the biggest and the baddest mixed martial arts promotion on the entire planet. And it's not that I didn't want to fight in the UFC. I just had gone through these different contract negotiations every couple of years with Bellator. They were making offers that you know I couldn't refuse. So I made the best decision I could. But for some reason around a year ago, well, no, a year prior to me signing with the UFC, I really started feeling this change in me. My conversations with my wife were different. You know, these are always, you know, husband and wife conversations. Hey, financially this or platform that or the positive or negative ramifications of staying with Bellator or going to the UFC. There was a lot of things up in the air. Our conversations started shifting a lot. She could hear in my voice, in my tone, the yearning to do something different, to leave Bellator, to go to the UFC. And a lot of those conversations revolved around, hey, what does that look like? And number one, you know, I want you as my wife to feel comfortable about this. We don't know what the offers are going to be. Could go down this route and you could be making half the money that you're making right now, you know, so it could lead to a little bit of financial stress or this or that. None of those things ended up working out, but moving to the UFC, coming out with a bang, you know, I was the backup in the world title fight in October of 2020. It's hard with the pandemic and all the craziness happening. You're like, what year was it? So, you know, October and then and then a couple months later, got the opportunity to fight in Abu Dhabi again as the co-main event on the Conor McGregor card, which was huge. And then I fought for the world title after that. So it's just been great. When I was in Bellator, which was a smaller promotion than the UFC, a lot less attention. I was just kind of building this really firm foundation of who I was, what my message was, what I brought to the table in terms of in front of the camera on the microphone or and especially inside the cage and then creating create you know really good relationships with a lot of people that I am now capitalizing on now that my platform has absolutely exploded because when you go to the UFC if you have any inkling of success whatsoever they can take your platform your brand and your name and likeness to the moon and that's really what's happened over the last year and here I am a couple of weeks from you know my third fight in the UFC which is going to be at Madison Square Garden on another pay-per-view which is another huge platform so feeling extremely blessed those 10 years in Bellator prepared me for the bright lights of being in the UFC now it's interesting cuz from the outside looking in you know 
Michael Chandler makes the switch from Bell toward UFC from out here. It's like, of course, you know, and then you go into the UFC and you have this success instantly. It's like, you know, for us, it's just, it feels like a foregone conclusion, but the reality is you're having this conversation with your wife and you have a child, little guy, Hap, and there are ramifications to this. Just like the listeners are sitting there, you know, thinking about maybe is it time for a career change or how do I get that promotion? The risk of starting that business. Like you guys went through that same process, right? And it's always hard whenever, you know, we made the joke about the golden handcuffs, you know, in the sport of mixed martial arts, nothing is guaranteed. And, and when you're making, you know, a good living, it's hard to even think about changing course whatsoever. But I got to the point where I was willing to take a pay cut to get to a bigger platform so that my voice can be even bigger. So my platform can be even bigger because I truly believe that God put me in the sport, not just to be good at fighting, not just to win fights, not just to collect more W's than I do L's on my record, but to inspire and motivate and make people feel something by the physical manifestation of the fights that everyone is going through, whether I win, whether I lose, and there are lessons in all my wins and there's lessons in all my losses. And quite frankly, every single time that I've lost, I feel like I've connected with, impacted and, and made people feel more than the performances where I win. And it's shown itself time and time again. But yeah, you know, History somewhat repeats itself in our life in positive ways and negative ways, obviously. But when we focus on the positive, I think about the 18-year-old me. I made a decision, and we talked about this, I believe, on, our, on the first time that we had the podcast. I made a decision when I was 18 years old. I wasn't a state champion wrestler. I wasn't highly recruited. Matter of fact, only one school talked to me whatsoever, and that was my home state, University of Missouri. They were offering me zero dollars, zero scholarship, but hey, you know, you can come, you know, work out with us and you can come be on the team, but we don't have any money to give you because, you know, it's already allotted and accounted for by all these other state champions from all these other places. And I was getting full ride offers from smaller schools, Division three, Division two, NAIA schools, junior college schools. And everybody around me said, take the money, take the scholarship, take the smaller school opportunity. But something for some reason inside of me said, if I'm going to wrestle at the next level, I'm going to wrestle at the highest level. So I'm going to take the chance on myself to walk on to the University of Missouri wrestling team, take the chance of being a five-year punching bag, five-year bench rider, be a guy who maybe he quits, be a guy who maybe never, ever gets to wear the black and gold singlet in a real wrestling match. But I'm going to take that chance for the off chance that maybe I do find success. And I did find success. And I was a four-year starter, four-year national qualifier, and ended up becoming an All-American my senior year. But had I not made that decision and took a chance on myself and walked on to the University of Missouri then I wouldn't be standing here today. That decision right there as an 18-year-old young man was the catalyst by which my entire life has been hinged upon. And now thinking about myself as the 32, 33-year-old man who's been in this sport now for 12 years at the time of me making this decision, I said, well, if the 18-year-old Michael who didn't know even one-tenth of what I know now made that decision, why shouldn't I make that decision now when I have all of this information at my disposal? I did. And it worked out. It has worked out extremely well. And it's the script was written perfectly. It was working out to a T. Obviously, I fell short in the world title fight. I was this close in Nat's eyelash from winning the, the world title in, on May 15th, which is in the UFC, which is the epitome of accomplishment within the sport of mixed martial arts, being the UFC champion, being the number one guy in the world. It fell short, but still at the, in this moment, I have no regrets. I made the right decision. 
I've done what I was, what was asked of me. I said yes to every opportunity and I've come in with arms wide open to every opportunity and come what may, I've just enjoyed it thus far. And we get to go to battle here in another couple of weeks and I'm expecting another win. If I lose, I lose, but that's part of it. For what it's worth, man. I thought you had him twice in that last time. You freaking had him. So anyway, you know. Which is always a good thing, but also kind of a bad thing. You know, you're like, good thing because good on you, man. You were that close. But also it's like, yeah, but you were that close, you know. But this is something I've really thought about and wanted to harness and wanted to kind of lean into is that in all of these different sports, in every different vocation, whatever job that you choose, whatever path that you take, you can't enjoy and take in stride the fruits of your labor and the spoils of victory. And for me, the bright lights and the platform and the the money we make and being a public figure and a professional athlete, I can't take all that in stride when times are good, but also all of a sudden turn my back on the sport that has afforded me all those things. Whenever bad things happen, whenever I acquire a setback, whenever, you know, I was that close to winning a world title and, and didn't, you can't take the good things in stride without also taking the failures in stride, the, the setbacks in stride. So I've really just realized that. And this sport and this journey is about the process. It's not always about the wins and the losses. Man, for the listener, I don't know about you, but I just got chills listening to that. Like, this is you. This is your life. This is my life. Michael's is, is playing out on a world stage. Maybe ours isn't so much as, as Michael's, but like, this is your journey too. Like, it's going to be fraught with setbacks and adversity and failure and struggle as well as the success. So Michael, I want to talk about that last fight. You know, you, you failed. The name of the podcast is success through failure. Like I get to interview so many people who like their story is done. Like the stamp is on it. Right. And like, you're still crafting your story and you're in that place where you've dealt with the failure. That was your, your last outing was not what you wanted. It was the setback. Take us to that fight. Take us to the end of that fight in the mindset that you have and how you get back up and say, okay, now you've got another huge fight coming up here at Madison Square Garden. Take us through the process with the mindset of a guy like you, who's extremely resilient, who's one of the best in the world at what you do. Like, how do you think about that? How do you deal with that and get back to where you're at right now, which is about to make a dent in the universe again? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'll take you back to inside the UFC Octagon, May 15th, sold out crowd at the Toyota Center in, in Houston, Texas. I'm headlining a UFC card. To see, the beautiful thing about it too is I'll even take you right before the fight. Before I was, you know, had blood coming down my cheek and I'm standing there with my arms on the cage as my coach is sitting there saying, you know, some inspiring things. And I'm just sitting there in disbelief, like how did this happen? How everything felt like it was going to be perfect. This was my moment to be, you know, the superhero and the world champion in the story of Michael Chandler's life. But I'll take you even before that, as I was walking to the octagon, the entire fight week, the entire training camp, I felt this piece that it was a foregone conclusion that it was going to happen, but not in a cocky, arrogant, I can cut corners and I can slack off. My confidence grew in every single day, the brick by boring brick of constantly and consistently putting together these small disciplines every single day, knowing that I left no stone unturned in my preparation. It motivated me every single day to do every single thing perfect in that training camp, every single thing perfect leading up to that fight. So I was on cloud nine. I was 100% confident I was about to win and you know get that belt put around my waist. Roughly seven minutes later, I'm standing there, as I said, with my hands up on top of the cage, looking around at the crowd and thinking, this is not how the story was supposed to end. But somewhat still with a purpose-filled 
fulfilled feeling kind of with a little smirk on my face. Like it's okay. This is where you want to be sometimes too. You want to be here with your back up against the wall. You know, would I have wanted to win? Absolutely. Do I wish I could go back and win that fight? Absolutely. But it's the comeback stories that really move people, you know? So now it's set me up for that. I made a couple mistakes a couple of years ago when in 2013, I was undefeated or 11 and no going into my 12th fight. And I lost that first fight of my entire career. And I made a couple mistakes, which mentally brought me down into a downward spiral, which led to two more consecutive losses. And I made three big mistakes. Number one is that I wanted to hide from the loss. Number two, I had skill amnesia. I somehow forgot how good I was. And number three, I found myself inside a jail cell of of self-pity. And people were calling me, the biggest news outlets in the mixed martial arts media landscape was calling me, the World MMA Awards were calling me. They wanted me to present an award in front of a ton of people and, and it was broadcasted live on TV. I said, no, I wanted to hide from the loss. I was embarrassed. I wanted to hide. I wanted to crawl under the sheets and have nobody talk to me for weeks and weeks, which that is one of the most devastating places you can find yourself after a setback or a loss is sitting there between your four walls, just listening to the critic within yourself. And then the second mistake I made was that I had skill amnesia. All of a sudden I forgot how good I was all of a sudden because of that loss. I thought in my mind that I lost all of these different attributes when really I was just as big, fast, strong, powerful, dominant, violent, cardio was on point, hands were on point, all of the different physical attributes I still had. The only thing I was lacking was the battle between the ears. And then I really found myself in that self-pity jail cell where I started blaming other people. If it wasn't for the judge, that one judge, if he would have given it to me, I would have won the split decision and I wouldn't have you know, lost those other fights. If it wasn't for the ref who made this decision or if you know, my training situation, my coaches, the this. And, and I see it in so many different times now when I'm watching other people as they have setbacks, not just in sports, but in business and in, in finance and in their relationships. I see these different things, these different themes playing out all the time. And I'm able to recognize them. So after this, with that last loss, I tried my hardest to stay away from those three things. As a matter of fact, I got back from Houston on Sunday. I was doing a podcast on Monday and I did another podcast. I actually broke down my fight on a huge YouTube channel that has almost a million followers because I, I wanted people to see me right away. I wanted them to see the black eye. I wanted them to feel what I was going through because by them going through it with me, it was very much a selfish thing for me too. I knew I needed to do that for me to get back on the horse. And because I did that and I ripped the bandaid off, you know, coming back from this loss has mentally, I'm in so much of a better place. Maybe it's maturity. Maybe it's, you know, not making those mistakes that I made in the past, but that would be my three biggest pieces of advice. Stay away from those three things when you ever do encounter a setback, because it's, it's done wonders to my mental state. And for the listener, like, I hope you get that. If you didn't, that's probably worth going back and listening to the last five minutes, two or three more times, because this is your life. This is your life. You know, you applied for that job. It was supposed to be your job. It was the perfect job for you. You nailed the interview. Everything was right, but something happened, right? There was someone in the room who maybe said something to the boss who they didn't hire you, right? You had the perfect workout plan. You were going to lose the 30 pounds and something else happened right? That tripped you up. Something else like, this is you, this is your life. And this is Michael. Like he's living this out in front of us and he's taking us behind the scenes in terms of the mindset. Like you can apply this to your life too. I mean, this is, this is you, this is your life. Quick interruption. Hey, if you like what you're hearing, be sure to get the notes, quotes, and links in the action plan from this episode. Just go to jimharshawjr.com slash action 
That's jimharshawjr.com slash action to get your free copy of the action plan. Now back to the show. Michael, you and I've talked about our shared background before. Like, you know, neither of us were state champions. Neither of us were recruited, didn't get scholarship money when we showed up, but we were four-year starters, ended up being all Americans. I mean, I just love that parallel in our careers, especially in our, our blue collar upbringing and background. And I'm curious, like, when did your mindset shift from like, successes for other people like when did that happen and maybe it wasn't just like one lightning bolt thing but like maybe it was over a process and it sounds like it has been a process over years now but what was that trigger what were some of those triggers like how did you level up because that's what people want like most of my listeners know like there's tactical things you can do and i share those tactics in terms of you know consistency and focus and discipline and all that but really it's up here it's in between the ears and you talk about that so How did you make that shift? You know, I really feel like I have an unfair advantage, but I do think that there is a way of thinking about transitions, especially, you know, we were talking even before we started recording and you you mentioned it one time thus far on this podcast that some of your listeners have failed in their past endeavor and they have moved on to a new one. And for me, that's exactly where I had found myself. I was an All-American. I think if you look at my story as a wrestler, it was a very much a success story. Everybody from my hometown who said, Michael, you should go wrestle at Lindawood University. When I walked on to you know, a Division I school and became an All-American, that was like ridiculous amounts of success compared to what my story was supposed to be. So for me, I still looked at it as a failure because I remembered all the times that I self-sabotaged myself, all the times that I did every single thing right. I was the first guy in the practice room, the last guy to leave, the guy who won every single coach's award, most valuable wrestler, most improved. I won all of the leadership awards. I was a two or three year captain at the University of Missouri. I was a leader on the team. I did every single thing right, yet time after time, when the moment came for me to become an All-American my junior year, my sophomore year, these are matches that I should have won. You could think back to numerous competitions that you should have won and you just, you were there. Jim beat Jim. Michael beat Michael more times than my opponents beat Michael. So for me, as I, when I say I have that unfair advantage, I had that hard stop on NCAA wrestling moving into mixed martial arts. And I made a promise to myself at that moment that the Michael Chandler who had self-limiting beliefs, who was a serial self-sabotager is not carrying on into the sport of mixed martial arts. He's going to believe in himself. He's going to believe bigger and bigger and better things about himself because I believe that I was called into the sport, not just to be good, but to be phenomenal at this sport and to have a huge platform and have wild success. And it didn't always mean that I believed that I was going to win every single fight, but I knew I was going to have success. So for me, when I said that unfair advantage, I did have a hard stop on wrestling and a brand new beginning, almost like I could turn into this new character, go into the new character, think about myself differently. When I looked at myself as a, as a wrestler in March of 2009, the morning of my All-American match in St. Louis, Missouri, I looked at a, one Michael in the mirror. The next morning I woke up a mixed martial artist. I saw a completely new man because I came into a new opportunity and I said, this is a new Michael Chandler and I'm not going to do those things anymore. And it took years and years and it took hours and how hundreds and hundreds of hours of working on my mental state, realizing the self-limiting beliefs of my past, getting over certain insecurities that I had in my past, certain ways that I was brought up. That was the story that was told to me, the picture that was painted of who Michael Chandler was going to be, the level at which he was going to find success. 
all of those foundational beliefs that were really ingrained in my DNA had to be beaten down. They had to be dug out and casted away. And I always talk about, you know, I was a small guy from a small town who was taught to do small things. That was what I was taught. Not only was I taught that, but you know, you're bordering on the edge of anybody who does more than small things is probably a bad person. Anyone who has money, anybody who has platforms, celebrity, large amounts of wealth, those are bad things, you know? And that's really the way that I was raised. So my new thinking was, you know what? I'm going to make money. I'm going to have platform. I'm going to be on world stages. I'm going to impact people. And, you know, even throughout college, when I had mentors or Bible study leaders or people that I looked up to, I started seeing that there was people around me of massive success who were doing other things for other people. They were constantly serving and pouring into other people. And that's when my mindset started changing as well, that, okay, wait a second, I can have a ton of success because if I don't have success, I really can't do much, really can't do squat for other people. I need to have success. Therefore, I can be a blessing. I will be blessed to be a blessing. So, you know, even for the listeners who are like, man, that season of my life is over. I failed or it didn't end up where I wanted to be. Think about the fact that you wake up tomorrow and you're able to step into a new character, step into a new person, put those same shoes on, but they feel different. And you're walking in a different direction with complete disregard to previous failures and future opposition. And that for me is what I did. That was the kind of the catalyst and the second half of my athletic career coming from wrestling to mixed martial arts. What about like accolades and you know, the boxes that you have to check, right? Because for the listener, they're going, well, that, that's all well and good for you, Michael, but you know, I don't have the degree. I don't have the network. You know, I don't have the money. I don't have the things that I'm supposed to have to achieve that level of success. I mean, you, Michael, you're all-American wrestler. You're obviously a black belt in BJJ. I mean, you have all the qualifications, but, but that's not the case, right? No. No, it's not. I mean, as a matter of fact, I don't have a belt. <laughs> I don't have a belt in, in BJJ, you know, mainly because, you know, I didn't come into the sport with a traditional mindset. I came into the sport saying, I am a wrestler who is going to throw hands. I'm a wrestler who is going to learn striking. Those were my specific gifts and attributes that I didn't want to stray away from. Of course, I'm learning jujitsu techniques and tactics here and there, of course, but I really want to stay a wrestler. And it was kind of a, a self exploration process and self-experiment say, okay, Hey, let's stay away from BJJ as much as you can and really focus on the wrestling aspect. And when you go against BJJ guys, see if it works. And nine times out of 10, most of my wrestling stuff was working. And of course, because I have certain physical attributes, strength and speed and athleticism in, in a lot of these positions, but I've found myself in that position so many times as well, where I think I'm unqualified. I think I am undereducated or underaccomplished in certain situations. But a lot of times I also realize that you can be who you want to be. You can choose every single day to make the decision of either taking action or choosing inaction and pounding the pavement between yourself and your goals and your dreams. Because really, especially in the sport of mixed martial arts, it does not matter. Of course, we're talking right now to a bunch of people who probably aren't mixed martial arts or probably don't fight. But if you just think about what mixed martial arts is. You got two guys stepping into an octagon and truthfully, it doesn't matter what the other guy's accolades are. It doesn't matter what the other guy's previous accomplishments are. You've heard the term in sports all the time. You know, when you step into the cage or you step on the field, everyone's O and O. There's zero wins, zero losses because anything can happen within the confines of the competition that we're about to engage in. And I also think sometimes we are focusing on why we shouldn't instead of why we should or why we could. 
why we are qualified instead of thinking about why we aren't qualified. And I talked about this numerous times in my class because when I talked about that self-sabotage, every single opportunity that I had where I self-sabotaged myself, I gave myself permission to lose instead of constantly finding ways and giving myself permission to win. And, you know, we're just human beings and we, we have some stinking thinking here and there, but the more we can tie our, what we do to our why and cloak it in gratitude and the promises that we know are on our life, we stop focusing so inwardly and we start thinking about the big picture. And that's really where I think a lot of my strength has come from. I don't care even for myself about being a legend, being in the Hall of Fame, being a multi-multi-millionaire and having this huge platform because I don't think about it as me. I think about me acquiring those things and accomplishing those things and how it's going to impact other people. How am I going to make a dent in the universe, make a dent in the world by accomplishing those things? And that's not to impress anybody. I just say that to impress upon the listeners that make sure we don't think so much inwardly. So honestly, I call it selfish. Stop thinking so selfishly about yourself and your attributes. Just go. Instead of trying to be right, just be right. Instead of trying to be good, just be good. See yourself as good. Put your calling over your comfort. Get in the uncomfortable scenarios and continue to move forward. And it's not that people don't do the right things. It's that they don't do the right things for long enough. You know. And how many times have we seen that in our lives? Someone's doing everything right. And then all of a sudden they give up right before they're about to have their breakthrough, right before they were about to take that one meeting that was going to be the catalyst to their success. That one person, that one handshake that was going to be getting them and taking them to the next level. You talk about unfair advantages. And I think most people see their own unfair disadvantage, but you're flipping this on its head and say, I've got these unfair advantages, right? You know, I, I didn't focus on what you're, you know, quote unquote, supposed to, right? You, know, you had your wrestling background. You didn't focus on BJJ. You took what you had. And then, and then the other thing I want to point out is like, and this is for the listeners as much as anybody is like the basics. You talked about gratitude. You talked about operating from place of gratitude and just being grateful. I mean, when you start there, gosh, it takes the pressure off when you go, man, everything's, this is amazing. I'm focusing on my unfair advantages and the things that I do have going for me. And is that a helpful part of your mindset? Just the simple thing, the buzzword that we've heard a million times, but gratitude. Yeah. And, it, and it's hard because it gets thrown around so much that people were just like, well, that sounds like foo-foo, rah-rah, you know, the secret type of stuff. I'm currently reading a book called How Full Is Your Bucket? And essentially to talk about the metaphor of having a bucket inside of you and every single interaction, every single act of service, everything that is done to you or for you, or you do for or to other people's, every word that you speak, every single thing that you meditate or think or pray on either fills or takes away from the bucket that you have inside of you. And there's just so many studies when it goes back to gratitude and people with positive outlooks or optimism and even health studies. And they talked about a POW camp back in the Vietnam War and almost half of the people that died inside the POW camps didn't die from being any kind of torture, didn't die from any kind of, of physical harm. Half of them died just because they gave up. They had that unwavering feeling of this is never going to end and constant negativity, constant dark shadow, dark cloud, which of course you or I have never been in that scenario. So I'm not saying that I wouldn't either. And I consider myself pretty much an optimist, but they ran these studies and they did interviews and there's so much science tied towards optimism. 
And I do think that's been one of my secret weapons. And my wife, you know, isn't exactly an optimist all the time, you know, so we kind of have differing views. And her dad was an optimist. And that was the one thing that she was like, oh, my dad just always thinks everything's going to work out. Or he doesn't worry about this. Or he never worries about that. Or he thinks he's invincible. Or he thinks he's a Superman. Lo and behold, she married a man who kind of thinks the same exact thing. You know, I'll jump off the top of a barn and she's like, you know, like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'll be all right. You know, and I take risks and I'm a risk taker. You know, you can't make, you know, silly actions and risks all the time and, and just think, oh, it'll work out. It'll be fine. Cause I'm an optimist. You have to have, make calculated informed decisions. But a lot of times the circumstances in my life, I always think it's going to work out. And I don't know where that comes from. And a lot of the listeners might be self-proclaimed or self-labeled pessimist, which is not a bad thing whatsoever. But I do think a certain amount of positivity added into your life, gratitude lists, meditating, praying on and thinking about speaking out loud, the things that you do have instead of the things that you don't have. And when you see my gratitude list, it'll be four different columns of random things. Lord, thank you so much for just good coffee. You know, thank you so much for my coffee maker. Thank you so much for that walk I took yesterday. These trivial little things, breaking it down all the way down to the smallest and tiniest opportunities that you've had the wins that you've had, even some of the losses that you've had, the physical things that you have, the emotional things that you have, the relationships in your life that you have. And I think about those things often. And I think about the people that I've never even met that are being impacted by my story. I do have that luxury. I do think about these random people that I have never met before, never interacted with. And I know they're out there who are looking at what I'm doing, seeing what I'm doing and feeling the impact of what I'm doing with my life. That wasn't always the case. I thought about those people out there, it being millions and millions of people out there before there actually was millions and millions of people out there, you know, and it all goes back to gratitude, optimism, and thinking that things are going to going to work out. Just give it a try, you know, try to be a little bit more optimistic and things will usually work out a little bit better than they would have if you had a little bit of a pessimist thinking. All that weird stuff that, that you hear that other people do that you could do, you could write down gratitude lists. Like this is a guy who's actually doing this. You're actually doing this, Michael. So I appreciate you sharing that, man. The book, How Full Is Your Bucket? I only know the kid's version. I didn't know there was like a real version of the, like a, a full, like ver I, there's a kid's version. So you got to get it for hat. I actually, it just got delivered today because my son's coming to visit me here in Florida here in a couple of days. It just got delivered. So a guy I wrestled with in college and he's now my financial advisor. He has the adult version. And it's a really great read. Uh, you know, For anybody out there who has a short attention span like me or not the best reader, my favorite book on the planet right now, you know, it has been for years, is uh, James Allen, As a Man Thinketh. As a Man Thinketh. Because of what is the content of the pages, but it's also only 40 pages long. So that's a big plus. I think you know the adult version of How Full Is Your Bucket is only like 80 pages long. So that was one of the really reasons why I committed to it. And I'm like, I can do this. But I can't wait to read the kids' version as well. Ah, it's great. It's great. You'll love it. And Michael, you've mentioned platform a few times and how your platform is impacting other people. And I just got to tell the listeners, if there's one follow you got to do on Instagram, it's Michael. I mean, the training stuff that you post, I mean, it's sick. Like your social media content is just like A plus stuff, man. So love it. Love it. So why don't you share with the listeners where they can find you, follow you, learn more about you, you know, who's supporting you and, and other things. At Mike Chandler MMA on Instagram, I do most of my you know video content and share awesome little snippets of podcasts like this on Instagram. I'm going to now start being moving stuff over to YouTube. 
my team is cutting together a lot of the videos, a lot of the stuff. I have like 17,000 videos on my phone that we're currently cutting together and, and going to start moving stuff over there. I actually did. I don't know if you know this. Or not, I wrote a 14 day mindset booklet. It's available for a free downloaded PDF on unsunggrinders.com unsunggrinders.com. And there's a thought process behind that name. But when the pandemic hit, I sat down in front of my computer for two days straight. I just, I was like, man, I can't do anything. The world shut down. I'm going to go ahead and do something for the people. I'm going to get some of my thoughts out on paper. And it turns out I came up with a, a 14 day mindset book, just different things that I've gone through different ways, action steps, some of the rah, rah, you know, cliche things that we all hear all of the most successful people among us talk about. These are the actual principles and things and action steps that I take every day. And I give an action step every single day. So it's meant to be read like a devotional. Day one, you read it, you do the action step and you meditate, pray, keep that front of mind for 14 days straight. And the idea behind Unsung Grinders is I challenge, you know, number one, thank you for the ringing endorsement of my Instagram. Cause everybody, you know, a lot of people say that like, oh, you're a savage and you work so hard and you are the hardest worker I know and you're this and you're that. And while that feels good, the idea of the unsung grinder came about because I thought, wait a second, I get paid to work out. I feed my family and I get a huge platform under huge bright lights in front of millions of people to work out, to push myself, to eat right, to sleep right, to live the championship lifestyle. So why should I really get that much credit? It's you guys out there, the unsung grinders, the guys and gals that are grinding and they are unsung. They don't get the credit for it. The mom or dad who wakes up at five in the morning, gets their workout in then takes care of the kids, then goes to work all day long, and then they repeat it and they repeat it. So that's why it's unsunggrinders.com. I'm sure I'll do something more with it down the line, but check out that 14-day free mindset booklet. You can download the PDF and let me know how you guys think it, it turned out. Yeah, we'll put the link to that in the action plan. Of course, uh, listeners, you have the link now and you're, you just remember it, or if you don't, all this stuff will be in jimharshawjr.com slash action. It'll be in the action plan, so you can always grab it there. Michael, as always, man, awesome stuff. Loved having you on the show. Good luck and keep it up, man. Yes, sir, Jim. I appreciate you, man. Thank you. Likewise. Thanks for listening. If you want to apply these principles into your life, let's talk. You can see the limited spaces that are open on my calendar at jimharshawjr.com slash apply, where you can sign up for a free one-time coaching call directly with me. And don't forget to grab your action plan. Just go to jimharshawjr.com slash action. And lastly, iTunes tends to suggest podcasts with more ratings and reviews more often. You would totally make my day if you give me a rating and review. Those go a long way in helping me grow the podcast audience. Just open up your podcast app if you have an iPhone, do a search for success through failure, select it, and then scroll the whole way to the bottom where you can leave the podcast a rating and a review. Now, I hope this isn't just another podcast episode for you. I hope you take action on what you learned here today. Good luck and thanks for listening.